right, welcome back to the Sweet Spot Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lebovich, and I'm here with my boy and my co-host, Mark Abramovitz. Mark, why don't you tell everyone what we got on tap for today? What's up, Jake? On today's episode, we've got Ryan Prager, a six foot three southpaw from Texas A&M. On today's episode, we're going to talk about Ryan's history with Tommy John and the highs and lows, the mental toll of injuries, how Jake broke two of my fingers, the role of technology in rehab, using a radar gun to limit velocity, being a mature athlete, the advantages of driveline pulse, using TrackMan for bullpens, blending feel with data, integrating back into daily practices, a day in September versus May, injury prevention with biomechanics, and advice for athletes going through Tommy John. All right. And without further ado, let's welcome Ryan Prager to the show. Welcome, brother. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. So for all of the listeners, this is a pretty cool episode for me because obviously we have a stud pitcher on our podcast today. Ryan is a left-handed pitcher for Texas A&M University. And this guy, mid-90s from the left side, you know, won a starting spot as a freshman, true freshman going into the SEC, pitched in the College World Series. I mean, we have a really, really talented guy on our podcast today, which is always really cool for our audience. For me, on the other hand, this is my cousin. So double cool for me to have this guy on the podcast. And we are super happy to have you here, my man. So let's kind of start off the podcast, give the listeners some background, kind of who you are, where you've kind of been in your college, you know, career, baseball career, you know, you can start back in high school and work your way up and kind of tell everyone where you are right now. Yeah, yeah. Originally from the Dallas area, grew up just around the game, playing the game my dad played. So it was kind of something that was always in our family. My granddad ran our our local little league. So baseball was always something, something in my life, it, whether it was going to the park with granddad, whether it was watching the Rangers at home with dad, it was, it was always something I knew I enjoyed. And then it kind of clicked in high school at some point where it was like, Hey, maybe you try to pursue this thing at the next level. And it was kind of just a dream at one point. And then as I got older, got bigger, got stronger, that that dream kind of started to turn into reality and got some schools calling, got the opportunity here at Texas A&M and it, the right fit just, just clicked and started here. My first year here was the 2022 season. Jake, like you said, I, I earned a earned a starting job that year, and that was an awesome team to be a part of. We went to the College World Series, won the SEC West, and finished the year ranked fourth. And that was a team I kind of look back on, and it was it was definitely something special. Didn't know it at the time, but dealt with some things through the middle of that year, just some discomfort. Didn't really think anything of it. I kind of saw some of my stuff kind of kind of drop off and. Nothing that was kind of alarming at the time, but band-aided it, worked in the training room to get get and be able to play that year. And that year rounded out, we we ended in Omaha and finally decided to, hey, let's get this checked out. Let's see if something really is wrong. And that summer worked uh, down with the doctors down in Houston, John Conway and his staff, which were great. But I learned that I had a, a near full thickness tear in, in my left UCL and that was kind of a, a kick in the gut at first and decided to have surgery that fall and spent all of 2023 rehabbing and now finally healthy, ready to go and excited for 2024 here in Aggieland. 
Yeah, man. We're excited for you. That's for sure. And we'll kind of dive into a little bit, you know, the emotions of what that was like finding out and how you've kind of worked your way back just to kind of go backwards on what you were saying, how you just kind of loved the game of baseball. And eventually it kind of just clicked for you like, hey, this might be a chance to take it at the next level. Our moms are pretty close, so they're always kind of chit-chatting about us and whatnot. And, you know, we don't get to see each other all the time, but I feel like I always had tabs on you. Like, I feel like I always kind of knew what was going down and what was going on. And I remember actually, I believe it was either my sophomore or junior year at Muhlenberg, we did our like spring trip out to Florida and um, your mom was there visiting your grandma. And, you know, she was like, you know, I think SEC might be in the cards for Ryan. And I was like, what like where did that came out of left field like you know it was just always like hey man we're like we're everything's going good you know he's enjoying it we're enjoying it and you know next thing you know you're throwing 95 from the left side I mean that'll get you a good SEC scholarship so it's awesome that you kind of got there and have succeeded there and you know a little bump in the road but I'm super excited to see what you do this year for sure thank you thank you and it's cool that you spoke about how for you grew up having it be a family game. I didn't have family that played at much of a high level, but for me also, like having a catch with your dad or granddad is those are special moments in the game and that's really cool stuff. And to be able to continue to keep that in the family is obviously great and very cool for you guys to be able to take this to the next level and do this together too. Ryan, you spoke a little bit about how you found out that you were going to need Tommy John. Could you go into some more detail of either on the performance side, you said it wasn't anything during the season to be alarmed about, but what was it that ultimately got you to the point of saying, need to get this checked out and talk about your emotions going through that at the time as well? Yeah. So I guess the first kind of flag for me was about halfway through that freshman season, right about the middle of conference play, I kind of noticed a little bit of a velo drop, a command drop, just an overall stuff kind of kind of fall off. And I'd say for me, I didn't know if that was just fatigue from a longer season, being in more stressful, a more stressful environment, or I kind of battled myself at that point of, hey, you don't you don't really know what's going on, like what's the issue here. So kind of just battled that out, not really thinking of injury, that really wasn't the first thing that came to my mind and battled out through the rest of the season. And finally, once that season got done, me and our athletic trainer were like, hey, let's at least get this checked because it could be nothing. But just in case it is, let's get it checked. And that's when we worked with the doctors down in Houston and they kind of broke the news. I guess at first it really was just kind of a state of shock because I think in the game of baseball, especially nowadays, being a pitcher, injuries are becoming more and more common. So it's it's the thought of you never think it'll happen to you until it does. And I'd say those first couple of days were kind of my time to kind of cope and kind of bring into reality of what just happened. And as soon as that did happen, and I could kind of accept it through talking with our trainers, our pitching coach at the time, even just my my family, it was kind of that realization of, hey, maybe this is for the better. Let's go get this done. Let's get healthy. Spend a year in the weight room, in the training room, another year just watching the game. 
the amount that you can learn from just watching and not playing was eye-opening to me. So it was kind of taking that experience and turning such a negative event, such a negative news, and turn it into how can we make it super positive. And once I kind of got that mindset, it made rehab so much easier. It made watching the games and cheering my teammates on so much easier. And I think that's really what helped me get through 2023. It's funny you mentioned that. I remember reaching out to you after I found out that you had torn it. And I was a little taken back. Your mindset was like, even back then it was, listen, this is tough, but you know, just trying to stay positive and move forward. And I think for a guy who's already as talented as you are to kind of double check that everything's now in order and you have a fully intact UCL with no damage and you get, like you're saying, an extra year of strength, mobility, power, like when you're in the SEC, you're competing with men, like real men. So, and you know that I'm sure all your teammates and your boys are like these grown ass men. And when you can kind of spend an extra year as a taller guy, like yourself, filling out your frame, increasing your mobility and just getting more powerful, it's going to help you, like you were saying, get through that longer season with that higher workload in terms of innings. For me, my injury was was different. Like you were saying how you kind of felt yours over time. Mine was kind of different. I dealt with a shoulder injury. I ended up having, you know, two partial tears in my labrum. And for me, it was like after one game, I like woke up the next morning and felt way more sore than I had ever before and went to kind of play catch the next day and was like, this doesn't feel right. And it's not that my labrum tore that day per se, but it just is something that probably accumulated to a point where it was more acute. So I think dealing with that over time throughout a season is a little bit more difficult, I'd say, because you're kind of in a groove succeeding at a really high level. And then all of a sudden, these things just like ever so slowly start to go wrong and you start to, you know, those thoughts start to creep into your head of, you know, am I doing something wrong? Am I not preparing enough? Like, and that's not really what's happening. It's just your body slowly wearing out. So that's kind of interesting how you had to deal with that. Yeah. Especially just the toughest part, like you were saying is you do the same thing. Nothing's changing in your routine and just you're not feeling the same or your performance isn't the same. And it is that mental battle of, you don't want to get super internal, but it's, it's, Hey, like what's going wrong? Like you kind of start to have those thoughts sometimes of, am I not good enough for this? And then you get the news broken and it kind of almost gives you that, that second surge of, Oh, Hey, that wasn't you. Like you are that guy still. I was pretty fortunate in my playing career, both playing baseball and rowing in college that I didn't have many major injury setbacks. Jake, you've actually broken two of my fingers. I was wondering how many episodes into this podcast we were going to get before that that came up. Um, I guess now we know the answer. So yeah, one I guess was so. when we were in sixth grade. And the reason I thought about it recently is because someone showed me a picture from the Cal Ripken baseball tournament down in Baltimore that they went to. And they showed me a picture of our team. And I was looking at the team going, oh, they're all the guys. I wonder what. I look like back then in that uniform and I was thinking, wait, why am I not in this picture? And I saw it was from the Cal Ripken tournament. And I was like, oh, Jake broke my finger. Um, the other one was in high school, which was not your fault. You threw a great 
two-seam fastball that a guy barely got a piece of at the last second, and it just hit me in the thumb, like, right at the wrong angle. It wasn't a bad one. I was out two weeks. I was back. But you have broken two of my fingers. Let me just chime in before you continue, Ryan, for your background. Mark was a kind of a hybrid infielder, you know, kind of utility guy. And when this finger was broken, ended up losing this third base spot to somebody else. So he came back as a catcher and ended up catching four years of varsity baseball and being one of the best catchers I've personally ever thrown to. So you're welcome. Question mark. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it was, uh, it really worked out in the end. I had a long yeah, trip back yeah. to getting behind the plate. I went back into left field for a bit, played a little second yeah. base and then found my way back yeah. behind the dish, but it all hey, works don't, out. Don't mention it, it, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. It all works out. <laughs> anyway, We've spoken a bit on some of our previous episodes about how data could help in injury prevention in the future, but let's talk a little bit right now about the current role that data and technology play in injury rehab. So Ryan, and you mentioned that one indicator for you was the velo tailing off a little bit. So how were you able to use something as relatively simple as a radar gun to help monitor intensity as you start to ramp back up and get back into things? Yeah. So <clears throat> through my whole throwing program, as soon as I picked up a baseball, every throw I did was on a radar gun. It didn't matter if it was at 45 feet or if it was at 120 feet or if it was on a mound, every throw was on a radar gun just to help monitor, Hey, how fast are you really going? How intentful are you really throwing this ball? Because if there's no objective data and it's all subjective, then you don't really know because it's the same as how a pitcher can feel really good one day and really bad the next day, and they could be throwing the same velocity. So the clear-cut data kind of let us know, hey, you're in the threshold you need to be. You're not going doing too much too fast to help us like properly ramp up and get the new elbow back used to stress. It kind of builds up that stress so that you're not going ADL on your first day and putting yourself at a large risk for re-injury. So I think it just really gave us that, that clear sense of here's where you're at, here's where you need to be and stay in this threshold. And it gave us instant feedback. There was no guessing on where you were that day. It was instant. That is, I think, the most important thing. Like you're mentioning, it takes all the guessing out of it. And for me personally, when I've worked with athletes, it's it's that aspect that is the most useful when having guys come back from any injury, but specifically elbow injuries. For me, when I have seen guys who come back from specific PT programs. A lot of it is distance-based. It's let's throw out 100 feet, let's throw at 90 feet, let's throw at 120 feet, et cetera, right? But like to your point, I could throw a baseball 60 miles an hour from 60 feet, 80 miles an hour from 60 feet, 100 miles an hour from 60 feet. So it takes all of that, like you're saying, subjectivity out of it and it makes it, okay, Here's your range. You're going to stay in your range. And that's going to be that because I cannot tell you how many pitchers I've worked with who are like, no, no, I swear to you, I'm going 70% and they're throwing 88. And I'm like, you don't throw 112. Like it's not, it's not the math doesn't add up. Like 
I really don't think you're throwing at the percentage you're saying. So in terms of making sure a guy like yourself is coming back with a hundred percent certainty that, you know, that elbow is taking on all the stress, you know, making sure you're doing it with a velocity based progression is important. And I think also what's interesting is you'll probably get a ton of parents listening to this and saying velocity, like, what do you mean they're supposed to be on the radar gun? Like, doesn't that make them want to throw harder? And that's just not the case. It's a very young minded philosophy. And when you have a guy like yourself, who is a college baseball player surrounded with really elite coaching, that's not necessarily what the radar gun is always used for. It's not used for blowing it up and trying to hit 90 plus miles an hour every time. It's, hey, I'm supposed to be 68 to 71 today. And you're a guy personally who throws 95. That is very low effort for you. But it's 100% keeping you locked in, which is really cool. We have similar stuff in rowing where because every stroke you take when you're on the rowing machine, you know exactly how many watts you're putting out. It's similar. It's if you're coming back from any sort of injury, on the one hand, you might think, well, as soon as you're looking at your numbers again, you're going to want to be back to where you were immediately and you're going to go too hard. But what you see more often with mature athletes is that guys understand in order to get back to peak shape as quickly and effectively as possible, and even to get past where they were before, you have to hit those benchmarks. And so if you know your peak wattage, you can say it's similar to the radar gun, but different. It's just wattage instead of miles per hour, but similar concept. You want to get 70%, 80%, 90% and work all the way back up so you can pass a hundred percent once you get back. Yeah, for sure. And it gets tough kind of toward the end of it. Like <clears throat> when you start seeing the velocity ramp up, you're like, Hey, maybe I can get there. Like it starts to get in your head of, Hey, you are, you're back to being healthy. So kind of sometimes that velocity kind of gets you a little excited, but like you were saying, the mature approach is staying within your range. It's just, it, it all comes back to just trusting that process of it. Like it's proven it's there for a reason. And you just kind of have to trust that, that full process. Cause it's not a one day or one week. It's the whole 12 to 14 months of recovery all put together that produces the end result. It's not the one day of, Hey, maybe, maybe I can go five miles an hour over. It's, it's the long road that produces that, that good end result that everybody's looking for. So we obviously spoke about velocity as being a tool that aided you in your throwing progression. In a previous conversation we've had, you also mentioned that you use the driveline pulse kind of early on as a technology in aiding your rehabilitation process. For listeners who don't know, the driveline pulse is an IMU unit that you wear in a band or a sleeve right around the UCL, and that device helps measure torque on the elbow. It helps measure arm speed and arm angle. And it's essentially used as a tool for throwers to monitor their workload and to make sure that they're not overworking or underworking. And it's been extremely useful in guys rehabbing from Tommy John. So why don't you kind of dive into how you use that technology as well? Yeah. One of the other things that Pulse does that is probably the most simple thing it does, but the most underrated is it counts your number of throws. So really what we used it more so for, the biggest thing was a true count. It told us exactly how many throws you were making from 
your warm-up throws to your rehab throws to if guys threw clubs or maybe a guy threw a couple plyos, like it gave us a concrete number of how many you actually did. So you could vary from your, especially once you get down the road in the program from your high day to your low day back to your high day. And you could see that differential. Another thing we used it for was like you said, it measures that, that valgus stress. And really what we would look at is, were there any spikes? Was it pretty constant throughout throwing or did you have a, a set of three throws where you kind of spiked up? And if that was the case, that was something that we kind of, kind of looked at and tried to avoid that because we don't want spikes. I mean, that's just, that's saying that maybe we're getting a little too excited in some, in some days and some circumstances, but really it was a good way for us to just monitor how many throws we were making. And like we said, we had the radar gun there to truly measure the intent. So if those two things lined up on a given day, it was a really good day. I think something that's also cool about the driveline technology is like you're saying, you're getting constant feedback on every throw, right? So let's say you're going through your progression and you're throwing in your torques at a specific level, you know, you're putting X, Y, and Z, you know, stress on your arm on those given throws. Your pitching coach comes over and he's like, Hey Ryan, you know, you're really not utilizing your back leg at all right now. You're just throwing all arm and you take that mechanical cue, you run with it and you kind of tweak your next couple of throws. All of a sudden you're using your lower body, creating more separation. Now that that torque number goes down because you're able to get the ball to a specific distance with a specific velocity, not overusing your arm. And all of a sudden those every throw metrics have allowed you to maximize your mechanics. So we also used it to do that as well. Did you see that at all throughout your progression? Uh, a little bit. I, I would say that we didn't really touch on mechanics a whole lot through the through the progression because it was a lot of just come back naturally, how, how your body wants to throw, and then um, see how that works out. Because if all that comes back great, then there's no reason to get mechanics in somebody's head and, and then people start getting super internal about it. So we let that all kind of work out. We would touch some things here and there, just like little slight cues, whether it was something with a glove or maybe just get the front foot in the ground a little bit firmer. But that's definitely something that I noticed day in, day out, because there were some days that I would throw and my my torque would be down or it'd be lower and the velo would be the same. And it's like, okay, that's awesome. That means I was doing something right today. Exactly. So we could kind of see that or we could see like, armor speed go up and down based on, and if the velocity was the same, then it was like, okay, maybe I was using something else a little bit better and exactly moving a little slower. So that was kind of the, that feedback that we got from it. So it was just cool to be able to see it every day. You go, you could compare Monday to Wednesday to Friday and see how you were progressing with it. Yeah. And that's the thing also, as you mentioned, comparing it to the velocity. So we spoke about both tools and all of a sudden you're using one in conjunction with the other and you're using them based off of one another and comparing them and contrasting them. And it's really cool how you're able to do that. So you go through that rehab throwing progression, your arm feels good. You eventually get back up to the mound, right? Yep. And like we've spoken about, you get back on the mound and the, and the data and the tech doesn't end there. You threw every rehab pen you know, building up your intensity on track, man, which monitors a ton of metrics. It monitors all the ball movement and all that good stuff. So why don't you kind of dive into 
that process, how you guys went about using TrackMan through your rehab pens, and also kind of touch on how the shapes of those pitches maybe changed as your intensity started fluctuating up towards higher levels? Yeah, so once I got on the mound, obviously it's super exciting. Guys want to – it's your first instance of being back on it. Like you want to touch the velo, but we we slowly ramped up the velo in that sense also. So start on the mound in a given range, 85, 87, and slowly built that back up. So instead of having the radar gun, we had TrackMan to give us that feedback there. And it was also our first sense of just seeing – like I said, we didn't really touch on mechanics a lot through the whole rehab process. We didn't really touch on pitch shapes at all either. So it was a lot of saying, hey, let's see naturally where are your pitch shapes coming back. And at first, that all of the first couple of weeks, it starts with only fastballs. So it's just saying, all right, where are you releasing the ball now? What's the profile? What's the shape profile on your heater now? And it was kind of cool at that point to see at the very start, even only throwing 85, 87, 88, just in that range in a real nice like touch and feel pen to be able to see what the profile of certain pitches are. So we got the instant feedback with like the vertical break, the horizontal, the release profile, all that, all, all the, all the fancy, uh, all the fancy stuff. Um, but then as we started to increase intent, and add new pitches, that's when we really got to kind of hone in on the arsenal and take a rehab pen and make it a developmental pen. So once I started kind of throwing all different pitches, I didn't really look at the pens as rehab. They were just bullpens for me. They were developmental pens where we could work on slider shape. We could work on change-up shape. We could continue to just add velo back to the heater and continue to push intent. So the best thing that TrackMan did was it, like everything we've talked about on the data side, it gives you the clear cut answer. There's instant feedback. You're never guessing about what something is doing. So I could get the heater back to the elite profile that I had with it. I could work on the slider. Maybe we want to sweep it more. Maybe we can gyro it. And it wasn't, it wasn't like a let's wait till you're healthy and let's work on it then. No, it was, let's work on it right now. Cause if you're healthy enough to throw it now, you're healthy enough to work on it. So we kind of started working on stuff right away. And I think that's what helped me get back to where I am now and especially be confident in everything. Those are great points. And I think it's super smart that they didn't off the bat focus so much on pitch shape when it was kind of bringing your intensity back, because when you're throwing a 50, 60, 70% touch and feel, that intent, you're not throwing the pitch shapes that you're going to be at 85, 90, 100%. So it's really smart that once you got up to that threshold of let's call it 85%, okay, now's a really good time to start working on those pitch shapes. Because in my you know, experience, it changes a ton. You'll have a guy who at 100% sweeps a, I don't know, 20-inch sweeper, and at 60%, the metrics are completely different. So what's the point of working on it then at that super light rehab-type intensity? Wait till you're up to that like 85, 90, 100%, and now it's time to work on it. But you've had now all these weeks and you know months to 
tune up your arsenal. So when it's like, okay, Doc, I'm 100%, I'm ready to go, you're good to pitch in a game now, it's not, oh, crap, I need another three, four weeks to get my stuff ready. It's, I'm, you toss me the ball, coach, I'm good to go, day one, lights on, you know, let's get it, which is really great. Yeah, and something else that we did that was that was really cool was as we got into more of those higher effort pens, the back ends of some of them were strictly velo based. So a lot of it was you're not going to you might not go hit 95 today. It might be 92, but let's get on the throttle and kind of get your body back used to that stress. So it wasn't trying to go guns a blazing for 25 pitches, but maybe the last five were, Hey, let's get on these heaters just to get your elbow back to that stress and get it used to that so that you don't get into a game. And all of a sudden your velo spikes four miles an hour. And now you're put, now you put yourself at more of a risk. So a lot of that sense of there was some push the velocity based through all that also. Let's, move away from some of the data that we're talking about and dive into a little bit more of the feel through this process. So when you were in the early stages of your PT, even before you picked up a ball and started throwing, was there a lot of data involved in that part of the rehab process? Or was that more going off feel and seeing how your body responded to range of motion and trying to get some strength back? It was a mix of both. I'd say mostly on the day-to-day -day basis, it was a lot of feel. It was a lot of showing up to PT. Hey, how do you feel today? Like, how did your body respond from maybe new exercises or or doing something else for the first time in a while? Um, but when I would, but I would routinely go back to the doctor about every four weeks, every six weeks or so, and there we would use some data. We would do range of motion measurements on my shoulder to make sure that that was coming back because after sitting for a while, you kind of lose some of that. So making sure we were regaining range of motion, perfectly fine. We would also do strength testing on just a grip dynamometer or, and a shoulder one, just certain positions that, that make sure that the shoulder is getting stronger. You're doing everything to make the elbow healthy and make sure that it's protected as, as you go down the rehab process. So that was kind of the data we used but everything else on the day-to-day -day rehab side was was very feel-based. And that personal feel was what helped let us know that, all right, you can move on to new exercises and start to progress down the road. That's a concept we talk about a lot on this podcast. It's kind of why we have the podcast is finding the sweet spot between data and that human decision feel type of thing. It's cool for me to know that in your rehab process, there was a little bit of both. It was like, hey, we're going to use the data to kind of ease your nerves in terms of the specific ranges of motion of your shoulder or the stress of your shoulder or strength of your elbow and all this good stuff is at the respectable levels where, you know, you shouldn't feel like you're going to hurt yourself on any given day. But being able to go off of feel and saying, hey, are you sore? Are you tight? Are you tired? And kind of using that in conjunction probably helped you also feel a little bit better going through the rehab process instead of someone telling you, Hey, you're good. Just go do your thing. It's like, no, do you feel good? And, you know, getting that in conjunction as well. For sure. It lets you know that you have some ownership in it because it is your body that got operated on and, and you're the one trying to get back to your level of performance. So it lets you know that you have some ownership. You definitely have a say and 
it's also an attest to the PTs that we had and the ATs that I had a great relationship with and, and we had good dialogue. That's the biggest thing is you have to be able to communicate about what's going on, how you're feeling. Cause people don't know those ATs, those PTs don't know if you don't tell them. In terms of day-to-day -day things now back at Texas A&M practice, do you have kind of anything that you do with the coaching staff or PTs or ATs on a daily practice basis just to kind of check in about how everything's feeling or that everything is in the right space to continue throwing at this level? Yeah, so weekly we will do shoulder strength testing and forearm strength testing. So we have a system called Dynamo that's all electronic. So all of our strength testing is saved instantly after we do it. It's all on our AT's app. So she can check weekly, hey, his numbers are down today and communicate with our coaching staff. Hey, maybe he should take a day off. Maybe his pen should be a little bit lighter today. Or she can look at it and go, he had a personal best today. Like he's feeling really good. He's he's all good. So it's one of those ways to kind of just continue to monitor our guys and and put our guys in the best in the best position to be successful. Because if a guy's a little groggy today, maybe his initial thought is, hey, I can get through it. But if the numbers say that the guy is maybe not in the best space or or putting himself at risk, that's that's where they kind of step in and help us be the best version of ourselves. Something that's interesting to me is how when you have injuries like Tommy John or labrum tears and whatnot, and you're coming back from that, it's increasingly crucial to make sure that the muscles surrounding that area are strong as well, right? The muscles in your forearm, the muscles in your bicep and your tricep, or when you're, you know, having a shoulder injury, the pec and the lat and, and all of those muscles that support the rotator cuff when it goes into layback, making sure that those muscles itself are really strong around that area is increasingly important. In addition, like you were saying, how kind of everyone was keeping you guys accountable. I feel like at the level you're at, when you have guys competing for spots, it's probably going to happen where guys are not being a thousand percent truthful about how they're feeling because it's like, I need to go balls to the wall, hundred percent every day to get a spot. And if I, you know, tell coach, my arm isn't feeling its best someone else of very similar caliber will slide right in. So does that ever play a factor? Do you see with you and your teammates in terms of kind of guys not being a hundred percent truthful to coaching staff because of kind of playing time opportunities? Yeah, for sure. I think, I think one, it, it's probably a lot of the younger guys that, that think that they have to make a name for themselves and they haven't done it in college yet. So they're, they want to, they want to prove it. Um, but there's that that balance between being tough and then just being stupid. Yep. Because if you're not feeling well and you don't know what it is and you think I'm just going to get through it, now you put yourself in harm's way for, for maybe something that's more serious. If it's just maybe a muscle soreness or a tendonitis, now you put yourself in, in harm's way for something that, that could put you out for an extended period of time. So... I think it's getting older and kind of understanding that sense of a day in September is not as important as a day in May and June. 
or a day right now for us, like in, in late January, early February, trying to be ready for opening weekend isn't as important as being ready for the middle of conference play, the conference tournament and into the NCAA tournament. Yeah. There's just stuff that people see in the weight room also where in a college program or really at any level at the end of the day, unless weightlifting is your sport, you're in the weight room to bulletproof your body for, like you said, the days that matter in May and June. And you can get into situations where one guy needs to beat another guy by five pounds to move up one spot on the sheet. And was that really worth your ribs to max that out for one extra rep? Let's talk not about the ways the guys get injured, but let's talk a little bit more about how we can prevent these injuries. So this is a part hypothetical, part realistic question. You can take it whichever way you want it. Is there any data or technology, either something that kind of exists today and you think can be used better or in a hypothetical situation, is there some dream piece of data or technology that you could imagine that could help prevent Tommy John or maybe other injuries? You could take it in either of those two ways or a way I haven't thought about? There is one that I think, but the problem is it's only available in minor league and big league parks. Uh. <laughs> so I don't think that it can fully prevent injuries because I think the weird thing about baseball and just about sports and injuries is you can do everything right and you can still go have Tommy John surgery. You can do everything right and still have an ACL injury. It's just that that freak nature of sports. But this thing that's in a lot of big league parks and a lot of minor league parks now, and being at AM, we were fortunate enough to have a biomechanics assessment done throughout the fall. So you truly get to see how your body moves and maybe what might put you at risk for injury. Not saying that you will have it, but it might put you at risk for certain things and I know they have it in a lot of those a lot of those bigger stadiums now that every pitch those guys throw is on cameras that is tracking how they move and they can go see after the game or coaches can go see hey he was great for pitches 1 through 70 but from pitch 71 to 85 this changed and either that's why it, maybe his velo is down or, hey, this changed and put him more at risk for, for an injury. So that kind of data, I think, can be super beneficial for guys. Unfortunately, it's just not readily available. But those biomechanics assessments just in like bullpen settings are also extremely beneficial and awesome to kind of just get to see. We started when I was finishing up at Princeton, we started using some of this biomechanic assessment and it was pretty it's in a pretty raw stage there where you could record somebody from the side of the machine and the technology that we would use it basically maps and i assume it's pretty similar for pitching it maps like different body parts like it'll put a dot at your elbow your shoulder your knees etc and kind of tracks all of those through space um and that was in a pretty early stage for us, I honestly wonder how the team is doing with that now and if they've gotten more advanced with it. But to your point, that's definitely 
a huge area for improvement. And hopefully we could see that kind of technology as it becomes cheaper and more widely available. We could see it for not just the top level athletes, but it could be used to protect athletes at all levels. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, like you were talking about how it was one camera from the side. It was pretty cool. I think we've seen with like what Wake Forest has done in their pitching lab and the guys that came in and did ours from P3 did their mocap assessment. And it's kind of cool because you got these six, seven cameras all around you, really, really making sure that they capture everything, really getting it right, getting the right data back to you and truly putting yourself in the best position to stay healthy, stay on the field and develop and become better. Yeah, that sounds like I'm sure it does wonders for the athletes that are able to get that kind of access to the information. That sounds like really cool stuff. Do you have any last words of advice for anybody who's going through the Tommy John rehab process? Yeah, I I'd just say embrace it, like trust the process of it. It's a long road. The days are the days are super long, but I'd say the year or the 12 to 14 months kind of flies by. The days and the weeks are super long, but the whole process start to finish kind of flies by. So whether you're in a tough spot of it, you're kind of having some setbacks or some hiccups, you just have to trust it. Trust what you're doing. It might suck some days, but but it's really nice at the very end. And when you get to the end, you can you get to see all that work pay off. All those long days, all those treacherous days of PT, they do pay off at the very end when you're back doing what you love to do. Yeah, man. It's a good message. Good message for the young kids out there. Um, I think what really hits home for me is every 18-year-old kid coming out of high school, going into college, thinks they're invincible, thinks they're this adult, this put-together person. And that's not to say you weren't, but it's so clear to me hearing you talk one about the knowledge of kind of what you've learned in your year sitting out that I'm sure by just watching and looking at the technology and being on the hip of your coaches, you learned all this stuff, but how you dealt with the adversity of your injury and how maturely you talk about that process that you have grown immensely from this and as shitty as it was and how tough of a process it was, I'm sure you could confidently say that you've become a better man from it and a better athlete from it would you say 100 percent, i'd say just your look on everything makes makes it look like my realization was you got hurt playing a sport like like it's there's way worse out there like you're still getting the opportunity to do something you love and just watching the game i've been back in inner squads now and, and everything's just slowed down it's it's a slower game when you're able to take it in from a different from a different angle and you just gain a deeper understanding from finding different ways to do it. There's so much to be able to learn. Again, like if, if somebody's going through it, there's so much to learn from just sitting back and watching. Yeah. All right. Well, give us the inside scoop. Are we thinking Aggies, SEC champs? Are we thinking Omaha? Like, what do we got? Man, I, I think I think we got a good shot at it. I mean, okay. Omaha two years ago was a blast and you know, we were there, but but we didn't do what we what we set out to do. We okay. came up came up a few games short. So we got a good group here in College Station and and we're excited to get going here here in about a week and a half. And you know, I think we have a good shot to to do what we want to do, but 
baseball. Let us know how that's going to play out. 100%, man. Well, listen, we're wishing you the best of luck, and you 100% know that we're rooting for you. And the second you book that ticket to Omaha, I'm booking my ticket to Omaha, <laughs> baby. And I will be there first row. <laughs> Let's do it. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for being on. We really appreciate it. And as always, we will catch you next time on the Sweet Spot Podcast. Yeah.